Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham, and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. And today, this episode is a fire hose of incredible thought and information. I had the privilege of sitting down with Ken Boa. Ken is a thinker. He is in some ways a philosopher. He's a prolific writer and speaker, particularly around the areas of spiritual formation and discipleship. And he's written vastly, but that is one thing that he's really well known for. And we we dive in the deep end. I was holding on in this conversation to both hands with this, to the steering wheel because it was a ride. And I just want to say thank you to Ken for being so generous with his time. Be sure to check out his many works. He's got a new book on transitions that just came out. And we'll talk a little bit about his best known book, Conform to His Image, uh, which is really a masterclass in how formation is happens in our souls. And it, you are, will want to dive in deeper after this conversation. If you could say a prayer for us, we are in the midst of getting our annual evergreen cohort. We have uh, almost a dozen leaders that are going to be gathering on a monthly basis. We have our retreat that kicks us off, and then we'll be gathering once a month, and uh, we're going to be meeting in Connecticut this year. I am just so excited for the diversity of the voices and the people that are a part of this. This cohort is really about helping younger leaders, those in their first or second decade of ministry, be able to build the relationships and the fortitude and the resilience uh, to be able to do ministry for the long haul, to live, as we say, in the evergreen way. So if you could just say a prayer for us, pray for myself. I have Brian Prue and Kevin Butterfield are helping me lead it this year. I'm so blessed by their leadership and excited to be able to engage with them. And uh, we're excited to, to be able to lead this group in the year to come. Without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Ken Boa. My great privilege today to have author, teacher, uh, just prolific thinker about the church, about spiritual formation, and many other things. Kembo, I thank you for jumping on today. I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah. So many of our listeners would likely be familiar with your work in some form, um, but can you give us a snapshot for those who might be new, or just give us a little bit of the breadth of what you're involved in, uh, especially in these recent days? Yes, I, I, I guess I'd describe myself as a pretty odd duck insofar as I'm a generalist. I'm not a specialist. And so uh, being um, a synthesizer as well, a translator and applier across the various fields, I, I write resources and uh, on all kinds of things in the areas, the three areas uh, essentially of loving well. And that would be, of course, including spiritual formation and all that that, that entails. And uh, learning well, which would have to do with apologetics, among other things. I've written textbooks on apologetics as well. And um, as then living well. And so there would be leadership and things of that nature. So it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. And But I have, I suppose if I were to um, mention... Two things that come to my mind, one would be conformed to his image, which came out in 2001, and now a revised edition, updated edition, uh, has recently come out. Um, that one, because it is designed to give people the big picture of the 12 facets of spiritual formation. And then the other one is Hamburg to prayer, I guess. I want people to pray scripture back to God. And um, so that's a tool, those are, to, and to kind of 
help people, to take them by the guide them by the hands and give you a form and freedom and a balanced diet in your prayer life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my experience uh, in just uh, getting familiar with a lot of the resources is similar to your ministry. It is uh, there's a lot there. You're very prolific, but it's also very practical uh, when you actually get down to the nuts and bolts of it, which I very much appreciate and um, have enjoyed getting in, digging into some of your resources. So in terms of your yeah. own story, um, what are some of the experiences or people who have kind of shaped um, your lens, the your spiritual walk and, and the way that you um, encounter God on a da- daily basis? Yes, I'm, an, I'm a very odd duck. And so far as I um, came, went to Dallas Theological Seminary when I was only six months old as a believer, um, I, I just I, I had come from Berkeley, California as a hippie in the, in the summer of love. And so to go there was a culture shock for me. It was an incredible thing. But God immediately raised up a, mo- a number of men, people who would become mentors. Mm-hmm. And I'm shaped by those people. But I realized as well that there's a sovereign uh, foundation sequence in my life. And he raised up godly men as well, as well. Cause I went to church. I just didn't know Jesus. I knew about him, believed in him but it was all head knowledge. I didn't know that and realize it. But I look back now and I have, in fact, made an effort um, in the past to thank these people, these godly people who've invested in my life in that way. I'm shaped by them. Um, so it's been a great blessing to know them and to be, um, it, for me, those years at seminary was a kind of a conscious worldview transition because I had been on psychedelic drugs. I had been, I was an ardent um, evolutionist. I was a... Um, into Eastern mysticism and uh, and also occultism. But apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like to play? <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like you're much of a half-hearted uh, person in any way. Whatever you're doing, you seem no, to be, yeah. be all into. So uh, what was it like? I mean, that's a, that's a quite a, a thing. Six months into uh, knowing Jesus, <laughs> going to seminary. I'm sure there's some, uh, some stories to tell there, but what, what was that experience yeah. like? Oh my gosh. I couldn't stand the place. It was, it was a culture shock. I had, I redefined what it meant to wear a coat coat and tie, but I went up with it and my hair would keep growing out and out and out. And they, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, I would get called, called into the Dean's office and so forth. And, um, I have to cut my hair again. I, it was, I had my wireframes, my mustache. They wouldn't allow me to grow a beard, even though the Griff, W.H. Griffith Thomas, one of the founders of the seminary had a big beard. It's a funny, <laughs> now, now that's changed, of course. But I couldn't stand the place and God raised up three people to keep me there. Mm. Um, cause I would have left otherwise. And all my friends for the first, uh, especially two years, almost all of them were non-believers who then Karen and I, my wife, um, we had a ministry with all these these freaks. It takes one to know one. And so they'd come up to our apartment. But some of them, there were so many who'd start coming up to our place that we found out that uh, Karen was being followed around by a narc uh, agent. And um, they were going to do a do a bust on it. They thought we were dealing with the dealers because they were a lot of them were dealers. Okay. And if they'd come, you can imagine. <laughs> so grace of God, all went well, but it was a um, when she came to faith in Jesus, because I thought she was a believer, she had not been. It was her st- story is as- astonishing. But when she did, we worked together, and all of a sudden, all these people, one by one, came to came to uh, Yeshua Hamashiach. It was a wonderful time. Mm. We had to start a church, in fact, a Saturday night church, because there was nowhere we could put these <laughs> these people with their hair down to their waist. I couldn't put them in a regular church. Think of Dallas, Texas, in the in the uh, in around 1970, uh, six, you know, it's, you can imagine. Wow. That's... So we had a, we had a we had a, um, a Saturday night fellowship called Emmanuel Fellowship that met in homes. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it's such a fascinating thing because we, uh, you know, there's been a resurgence of sort of the the house church movement, and we have uh, micro churches even in our network of churches too. But uh, yeah, there's uh, nothing new under the sun, as they say. And uh, that was no. obviously, a for- I'm sure that was a formational time for you as a leader. Um, you know, what were, some, what were some other? Is there another moment or two as you think? Obviously, you penned uh, conform to his image in you know right around 2000, published in 2001. Um, yes. What kind of, are there are a couple other milestones along the journey there, obviously between Dallas Theological Seminary and sure. then writing this work 30 years later. Yeah. In fact, my first book was done uh, a year after I um, graduated from seminary. I'm an old guy. I was I graduated in 72. And in 1974, uh, when I was 29, I um, wrote my first book, uh, God I Don't Understand. And it was mm-hmm. about the mysteries of the divine sovereign and human responsibility. And I, as a scientist, because I am, uh, I'm also a scientist, a philosopher of science from Case Institute of Technology. I um, dealt with physics. I dealt with God's relation of his mystery of time and space and omnipresence versus localization. And so that book, um, God I Don't Understand, um, was was my first and then i wrote a book called cults world religions and the occult and uh, so i've i've just got a lot of things i've done over the years but i had different entities uh, i worked with new life and event and kind of lifestyle evangelism before it was even uh, became popular and then i got involved with um uh, teaching at the king's college in, in briarcliff manor new york and college pastor. Again, all, I'm shaped by these people, these relationships, because each step of the way, uh, my life has been shaped by people who have invested in mine. And so that's a, I'm a very big person on mentoring mm-hmm. and the whole idea of, of passing it on and make, having an gen- intergenerational influence. So as I look back on my own journey, which it seems like just yesterday, there's another sense in which I see it's an organic uh, sequence that's mm. brought me to this present time. I even have ti- a timeline of myself to kind of look at and review his workings in the past. Because one of the books that's just come out is Recalibrate Your Life, and it invites you to do just that. Mm. So it's a way of recalibrating where I've been and, and to look at God's process. And you see it in retrospect. You know, as Kierkegaard said, you live life forwards and understand it backwards. Mm. And so the the idea of seeing all these each thing stepping to another, and the incredible mentors I've had over the years and the relationships. So it's been a lovely journey. Hmm. The ride continues. So let's talk a little bit about conform to his image, um, which again was published around two thousand and one. I know there's a re- revised edition. Uh, you were so generous to let me be able to dive into one of those, a beautiful uh, leather bound version of it as well. So I encourage people to go <laughs> and nice. check that out. But um, you know, can you give us? You mentioned a little bit of this before, but the basic yeah. thesis and framework of the book around um, the the byline is biblical practical approaches to spiritual formation. Yes. What I found in the literature is that uh, often they would, uh, one or two components would be uh, mistaken for the whole. Mm. And so a person would get into, for example, disciplined spirituality and then focus on that. Another might get into what I call exchange life. It's a a, a large group. Um, And then there would be almost no overlap between those two. And and then um, other facets as well, contemplative uh, things and so forth. So I, I, I arrived at 12 facets of the spiritual life that all work together. And there's, there's materials on all 12 of these things um, that are so valuable. 
So, I, I, but I bookended it with relationships because uh, relationships are the currency of heaven. So I start with relational spirituality, which is to love God completely, ourselves correctly, and others compassionately. And I, then I end up with the twelfth facet, which is uh, corporate spirituality. So we we come to faith as individuals. We grow in community. Mm, well said. That's absolutely. Now, you know, one one might look at that and say, okay, there's 12 facets. This is a overwhelming mm-hmm. amount of things to try to mm-hmm. master to become more like Christ. How do we navigate just the the reality? One, we're all probably prone towards some areas. Uh, I'm sure you know we, you and I are different in that. There may be things that are come more naturally or not. And and secondarily, like this is not just a uh, to do list of 12 areas to get mastery over. Like, how do you how do how can we think about this in a in a helpful way? Yes. In fact, I even have an appendix on the need for diversity because naturally some people will be drawn. So I even talk about personality inventories and the things of, of that and also a history of our of the, of the, of the heritage. But I, th- I think that there are certain ones will become very compelling at various times and there's a need for all of them in some degree, at least to be exposed ourselves to some, some of the things. We won't um, be naturally drawn to some, um, but we will be drawn more to others. But it, it's good for us to see the the whole rather than to just confuse a part with the whole, and then to uh, expose ourselves at least as a discipline to other to other d- dimensions. So spirit filled spirituality is one of those facets. Warfare spirituality, but I also have a thing I call process spirituality, which is being um, versus doing, in, intimacy and activity. So the, the, the tensions that we, that we face, um, holistic spirituality having to do with the idea of what does it mean for every aspect of life to be lived in such a way that everything matters. So I, there I talk as well about um, this whole area of practicing God's presence. So certain motifs have become important for me over the years um, that kind of define the, these things. But essentially seeing the overall understanding of loving God completely would be my best summary of what that means is to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, which is inside out. It's significant that it ends up with the actions, mm. but there is a reciprocity that takes place. And then to, to love him completely is to love yourself correctly, which I define as, as choosing to believe that what the Bible says about us is true in spite of our feelings and experiences to the contrary. Wow. And I, I, the way I like to put it is the world will define you by default. <laughs> Do nothing, and it'll be glad to tell you what the price tags are. But uh, the word will only define you by discipline. And so you must choose to show up. And um, that's why no one wakes up and they're suddenly spiritual. But there's so many resources that God has left a- along the way, maps and 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 mentors and and the understandings of how we can uh, encourage and stimulate one another to love and, and do good deeds. Mm. Well, the gift of it, and you you get to be a living example of this, is that we get to, it's a, it's ever unfolding as we live on this side of eternity, that we get to continue to to press into it and to see it. And, you know, as you mentioned that, not only do individuals have bents, but different streams of the church uh, kind of celebrate yes. and lean in on different things. And, uh, you know, that's why we have the gift, even mm-hmm. in its messiness of the mosaic, of, of the yes. local church, uh, which is such a... It's a mo- yeah. yeah, it's a mess. I think Luke Timothy Johnson used that phrase. He says, says the church is a messy grace. Mm, that's a great it's line. It's an interesting idea. It's a messy grace, be- but you see, God chooses to work with this mess, and he does it in such a way that he wishes for us to um, become transformed into his image. And so the reason for the title, uh, Conformed to His Image, of course, of course, is Romans eight twenty nine. 
So all these things, there's a purpose, and his intention is for us to become like him. Um, I have a phrase that I just invented that I want to run by you, if you don't mind. I, I have a thing where on, this is apropos to our purpose. Yeah. Because as we all know, there's a general revelation of God, um, which I now call God's infinite word. He spoke all matter and energy and time and space into being. And then there's God's special revelation, which I break down into three aspects of God's word. His inspired word, his incarnate word, and his indwelling word. And so I'm huge, huge on the um, on really using beauty as a draw to goodness and truth. And so I have a museum of created beauty that we've released now. And seeing his beauty in the microcosm, midicosm, macrocosm, but at the same time, though it's a fallen world, it it's ravishes us if we have the eyes to see and the ears to receive. But then God's, God's infinite word, I think, then points to his inspired word, his special revelation. Um, and the inspired word points consistently, ultimately, to the mystery of the one who would be the God-man, and then that the I, beyond all imagination or, or wonder, we, you and me and I and you, the indwelling word. So here's my new phrase. I just invented this yesterday. Um, the inspired word reveals that the infinite word, because you'd never know, you'd never know this is from science. You'd never know. You'd know about God's eternal power and divine nature, but the infinite word. Who could have known that the infinite word would become the incarnate word? the inspired word, and then so that he could become the indwelling word. Hmm. So that's pretty heavy because now we have the one who holds matter and energy and star and everything together, the, the, the super clusters of galaxies. Yes, he's in you and you are in him. So it's a really remarkable, I'm, I'm chewing on that idea. <laughs> Christ but, in us, uh, the hope of glory it, it would be the bottom line. I think at the end of that, uh, that's right. yeah, so it would be. That's yeah. A, that's a powerful. Now you mentioned beauty. Uh, I was actually interested because um, we've been going back and forth a little bit through email, and you included just as I don't know if this is your general practice, but you were on a trip somewhere and you included some beautiful pictures on that. Yes, um, I just yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you tell me, um, yeah, how how did this come to be? This museum of creative is it museum of creative beauty? Correct me if I'm saying that. Yes, museum of created beauty, and um, we're we're now populating it, and so getting. Um, it's in its birth process, you know, it's, it's growing and it'll be powerful. But, um, the, the museum of creative, I, what I see that beauty is the apologetic for our time. Hmm. And that even though it's a fallen creation, God speaks to us through beauty because beauty connects mystery with truth. Hmm. And so with, with, and with goodness and truth. So as I see it, then the, this mystery of, of God's, um, work in this, in this manner, is to see, as the way I describe it is this, beauty exists where truth and goodness meet mystery. Hmm. And um, it's, it's the, I, I, I like to use the imagery of the, that C.S. Lewis gave us of uh, patches of God light in the woodlands of our experience. And effectively, they, they speak and they, they, they creep past the watching dragons of critical objections when it pierces the heart. And it draws us. Um, so I've changed my sequence. I used to talk about truth, goodness, and beauty. Now I talk about beauty, goodness, and truth because that's I think God's portal, God's entry point um, in, into the into these things that I think. And so I now see both the world and and uh, the word as reciprocal agencies. Um, that one, the world is outside in. The astonishing thing, when you really think about this is that God has given us as spiritual beings the capacity 
to see and to receive truths that point beyond themselves. So the outside and the visible points to the unseen. And so that's why it, and it reveals his glory and his goodness, but reveals things. But then in, the, in God's special uh, revelation of, in, in so forth in Scripture, the, um, it, then the word of God um, is inside out. It, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think that, in my view, that God has created this world in such a way that everything in it points beyond itself to moral and spiritual truth, but you have to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Without mm. those, you'll, it'll totally go over your head. Mm. And so I think everyone's exposed to beauty, but a smaller number of people are curious. And yet a smaller than, than, a number than that, um, are, they, or rather, are, they wonder. So beauty, wonder, curiosity. And you wonder, but then you wonder. And then the deepest level is submission to the mystery that transcends our imagination. Because the more I'm learning, I know enough about science as a, as a scientist, as a generalist, to be, sometimes actually have moments of holy terror. When I discover a truth about what God has done in the natural world, I'm almost shocked by it. Mm-hmm. The mathematics or the, or the physics or the fine-tuning of the cosmos or this extraordinary creature I did not even know exist. I'm... I'm now, now I'm looking at aeroplankton, <laughs> learning about the crazy stuff. So God the, the delights in diversity and richness and imagination and beauty. And my own, if I were to summarize what I am doing, I suppose I'm in the pursuit of a story-driven amplification of imagination hmm. that will winsomely compel people to long for more. Let me say that again, because um, that that's, that's sort of defines me now. The pursuit of a story-driven, because God is the ultimate story and the greatest story ever told is the one he wrote. And the, the better a story is, get, is, is, is created and crafted, whether in film, literature, poetry, whatever, the, the more it reveals, it's, the more it relates to the greatest story ever told. So it's a story-driven amplification of imagination. People use, needs to use their imagination, and it's been diminished profoundly. Um, to come to to winsomely, you want to you want to know you want people to know what you are love, not what you're against, mm-hmm. and to pursue the the expulsive power of a new affection and getting rid of the lesser goods to find oh this is far far better, so um, that would winsomely compel people to long for more. People don't want enough; they don't they 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 settle for trinkets and toys and tinsel mm-hmm. when infinite joy is offered us. Our desires are too thin. So people have anemic aspirations mm. because they want so little. I, 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 the way I see it then, that affects their thought life. They have sloppy thought lives. And because they have sloppy thought lives, they have flabby wills. Wow. There's a diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a thousand applications and just what we just talked about there. But I think, you know, in, a, in an era, I think a lot of uh, church leaders today are feeling the the noise of culture, the pace of culture, the distraction of culture. These are... The things that, you know, you know, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. These are the patterns of our world today. And it's a beautiful yeah. reminder, you know, even in our, our cohort, as I've been leading young leaders, um, some of the most powerful times we have is not necessarily um, in a circle, but when we're outdoors on a hike. And, um, you know, I think there's actually a lot of power in the way Jesus led that it was as right. he was Absolutely. going um, that he was teaching. And um, 
I think it's Can a, you imagine it's a, that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me of something. This is funny. I I was apparently I was dreaming all, all last night. I had multiple dreams. It turns out about having an immersion in nature with friends mm-hmm. and having a conference where people, I would train them how to do that. I even, here's the things I'd even in my dream, I was saying they're going to have this swag and it's going to include um, a loop so they can look at flowers and leaves and with, magnify that, the, the, the image. It's going to have a flashlight. It's going to have a little, some bags for them to collect samples mm-hmm. of rocks and leaves and insects. And for you to begin to, and then exercises whereby you could leverage this visible and, and enhance your thoughts, your imagination, inspire you to a greater perception of who God is because you love it. I, I think nature and God's world is a force multiplier for worship. And it's been, people do not grasp it. And they, I find, I, when, when I was in Tucson, and I sent you those photos, yeah. you see that yep. ones I took. The, the, the reason I did that is a sort of a reminder because some of the people I sent those photos to someone else I had met, he says, you know, I didn't even go outside to look at the sky. <laughs> and he's at this Christian conference and he's one of, one of the most beautiful night skies in all of North America. Mm. And then, then the saguaro cactus and everything else. And I was reveling in the little time I was there and taking these photos and people were just all wrapped up in the, uh, they, they couldn't even see it. Mm. It's, it's an interesting thing. So I take, you want to take heed, you know, train yourself to have the seeing eye yeah. and the hearing ear. That's a good word. Yeah. I was just, um, my wife was speaking at a, a conference center here in the Northeast this last weekend. And um, it's one I'm very familiar with on a gorgeous lake here in, in New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we, we, we don't even think about like, why is it that we often have these encounters with God when we change our place and our pace and we go to somewhere yeah, that's surrounded, surrounded yeah. by beauty and we're like, um, but we don't recognize that the, um, just that environment itself is one of the ways that God speaks to our souls, which is a, a really it's powerful a, it's thing. En- it's enchanting. He enchants us if we allow him to do so. In fact, the film that comes to mind is Enchanted April, where you have these, these couples from London and they're all uh, in loggerheads with each other. And by going to um, around the Lake, Lake Majori, it's unbelievable how the beauty invites them into a, a shalom. It's, it's fascinating. Um, so I do believe that, uh, that uh, followers of Jesus should make it a, an active discipline um, to actually intentionally notice the works of God because we're commanded to do so, and it relates to worship and praise. We're told very clearly. But one of the things I love about this is that you and I are privileged to live in a time uh, unlike any other, um, it was only in the 18th century, the so-called uh, century of, uh, of the age of, an, of, of enlightenment. It was during that century that two force multipliers of nature were, 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 were developed, na- namely the microscope and the telescope. And it's not accidental. It was then. He says, okay, now that cynicism is going to rise. You're going to move from theism by way of deism into materialism. Mm. I'm going to now use science and technology to amp up the evidence of who I am. Now I'm going to show you worlds you didn't even dream, dream about and know exist. And the more you see, and it's, that knowledge is going up exponentially. So it's, the delicious irony is that God is using science and technology, cutting-edge stuff in all these fields, to become a greater and greater pointer to his mystery and wonder because it becomes more and more mysterious and wonderful, not less. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think of 
practical application is uh, we all carry around with us supercomputers with uh, cameras on them to go out. And, and, and <laughs> I think I, I often, I mean, a lot of my personal um, way of thinking about God is the transcendent and the intimate, the fact that God is far beyond all things and he is the one who is near to us. And we can experience that in, in, in creation itself to get down on our hands and knees and look at the intricacies of a blade of grass or a flower, but also to go to a vista and to be able to look out upon it and just to behold, behold the wonder of God. So that's a very practical, uh, you know, you can pause this podcast or you can go do that while you listen to us. <laughs> so that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. So I have a, an appetite for actually, I want people to be, I, be dazzled by yes. the, the wonder worker who made this stuff. And because God, his, his, he has an infor, inordinate fondness for beetles, for example. I have collections of these things, and I, I like to show them. And what, look at these crazy things. They make them huge and so forth. Mm. But you just look at anything you wish, and it's, it's a force multiplier of worship. And so in a time of skepticism, it's science that's actually revealing, where he's revealing himself more fully now than he'd ever done before. And every time it, a new thing is developed, like the Webb telescope, it just gets better. That's great. Yeah, there's very few atheists at the Grand Canyon or the birth of a child. Uh, so <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> so that's let's good. talk a little that's bit about um, one of the areas you addressed and conform to his image that I think is really fascinating is our vocation, our work, and how our work and worship and formation come together. And particularly, most of the people listening, or many of those listening to this, their vocation it has a spiritual component to it that's directive, that they're spiritual leaders leading in the local church. And so that sometimes br brings a complexity to it. Some want to stand at, a, at an arm's length from community. Some feel that there's no division of those things. And so um, as you have talked to and counseled and, and engaged in your own local church, how can we think about our vocation, our work in relation to our formation when our work is often helping people follow Jesus? Exactly. So uh, that's where I speak about um, holistic spirituality is facet seven, every component of life under the Lordship of Christ. And so relationships work in society. I love to tell business people, I love to tell workers um, about how your work not only matters to God, it's an arena of, of influence whereby God in, embeds you in, in uh, arenas of credibility where your excellence in your work and your honesty, your character become manifest through the works, the way you cut a deal, the way you deal with your, 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 your customers, your clients, your vendors, the way you honor Christ by serving him and therefore doing, uh, having a higher stand, whatever you do in work, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, the God of Father, everything matters. So it's our pulpit. It's an arena and that God, in fact, puts us there and it is the context for where the gospel becomes manifest. So mm. I want people to know that there's no sacred secular dichotomy. Mm. Here's the way I like to put it. Uh, and you'll see it when you in conform to his image in, in holistic spirituality. The so-called the sacred, the secular becomes spiritual when the focus of your heart is the eternal. You say that one more time. So consider, say that one more time. Yeah, this, 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 this so-called sec, the secular becomes spiritual when the focus of your heart is the eternal. I'll give you an example. Here's a lathe worker at a factory. This lathe worker, he he sees his work in a sphere of as, and it gives him a, a sphere of credible impact in there and an arena of influence. And he does his work with excellence as unto the Lord. And so in everything he does, he, his work matters. And so what happens, what appeared to be secular, his work as a lathe, actually became spiritual 
because of the focus of his heart. That's the that's the alchemy of grace that transmutes the lead of the ordinary into these into the gold of the extraordinary. Mm. So here he sees that he can pray for the people he's working with, and that he can be an agent of grace or whatever his sphere of influence is. If he's a craftsman, if he's a tailor, if he's a lawyer, if he's an attorney, uh, rather if he is a a, a, um, a businessman. All that matters. Here's the interesting sadness, though. The so-called spiritual becomes secular when the focus of your heart's the temporal. Mm. So what happens is a guy, here's a pastor of a church, and all he thinks about is becoming the biggest church in his denomination or something like that. What happens is it, it looks like he's doing it to the glory of God, but Christ isn't actually honored in, this, in the ultimate mission. So that's why I'm saying appearances are deceptive. And the, one of the things about the... Um, the, there's this kind of a second reformation that's needed to get, if we got the, the word into the hands of the people in the first, the second one is getting the ministry into the hands of the people. Wow. That's a good word. Yes, there's definitely, I mean, going back to, uh, it's the Ephesians 4 reformation, you would say, that the, the mm-hmm. works of the ministry are to equip the saints for acts of service, uh, for sure. That's huge. A, huge. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's a timely one is, um, you know, the moment we're in, I think many churches are feeling the new paradigm, the new reality, the new normal, whatever they want to say, that they may have more constrained uh, resources, or they may need to better compensate their staff, so a fewer staff. And really what it, it, the demand of the moment is what you just described, which is to give the ministry away to the people. So that's a good, that's a really, that's right, that's really right. strong word. I would also mention one other thing, and that's in Recalibrate Your Life, which came out this year as an IVP book. Um, one of the things we talk about then is um, how you can actually leave a godly legacy, numbering your days, treasuring God and people, moving from career to calling and developing a better vision of retirement. But you do, the earlier you do this, the better off you are, and then purpose and then practice. And so people w- wrestle with, you want everything to matter. And where, so as, as Jim, El- Jim Elliott put it, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt any situation you believe to be the will of God. Now, that's a brilliant statement. And um, he's right. Everything matters. And, if, and so if I truly understand that this is so, these, these, these principles, there are no little people, places, or events, and everything matters, and is no, there's no trivial thing. These, the splendor of the ordinary mm. can, be, can be, yeah. Yeah, with, you mentioned your, your latest work on transitions, and this is a, a perpetual challenge. I mean, for leaders who've been serving in the church for many years who are trying to wrestle with what does it look like to hand off the baton of their pulpit and and one yes. of the things, and for younger leaders to be able to be cautious of wrapping their identity around their vocation and their work and up into the right being the only way that we can build a career, so to speak, and even <laughs> even church work. And so are there some things from that work there that would be insightful uh, for, especially for younger leaders or those who've been serving for a long time in the life of the church? I th- yes, because it relates to understanding God's purpose and not just relating to the idea of a career, but how does this fit into the larger purposes, my unique purpose in, in discovering that? And how do I really leverage the, the temporal, my, my, the temporal assets of time, talent, and treasure and practical ways of doing that into the eternal uh, uh, truths of, of truth of the word of God and people? So the idea of taking the things that are passing away, your time, talent, and treasure, 
and uh, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, as, as it says in Luke 16, 9, so that when it fails, there will be people to receive you into the eternal dwellings. So I love that idea. If you're smart, you're going you're gonna to treat the temporal as it is and understand you're called to leave a legacy, and it's beyond DNA. Your impact has an incalculably diffusive impact on others, and you cannot quantify that. But you want to then treat each person with dignity and each opportunity as such. So there are principles of how do we do this in both in that book and some other resources of how do you practice his presence? How do you um, pray for people while you're even talking with them? How do you um, do your work with excellence? How do you love what you don't like? God calls us to love some love everyone, though we, we don't like some. <laughs> but the same way we can love our things that He gives us, even though we don't like some. And when we do that, we receive it as from God, and then do execute it with excellence and, and diligence. Hmm. One of the things I immediately was drawn to in your own story is that you are continue, one, obviously continuing to learn. We've already talked about that, but you're also. Yeah. practicing some of these things in community you're teaching and leading groups through that um yes, yes yeah t- yes. talk to me a little bit about what that like your um the outflow yeah. of that in your your life okay i'll tell you for example i have one coming up tomorrow it's um nelson cersei's has, has this uh, pastors um uh that he's put together and uh so there's about 20 something pastors that he's handpicked and we were we started it last month where we do a one one a two-hour zoom call and um, on one chapter of Conform to His Image. And it's very powerful. What I love about it is I have two other groups like this. One meets in the first uh, 12 guys I have around the country in the first uh, Tuesday of the month. And there's another group of 12 guys in the first Thursday of the month, and they're different chapters. But they have different personalities. Mm. You see, what I love about it is there's a unity and diversity, and each one has a unique body. And And then to treasure the relationships, because if these are four soil people, people who are really are hungry and thirsty for, for life in, in Christ, then they even transcend the ordinary limitations of social media and Zoom and things. And there's an intimacy in that community. Because I'm a big believer, as again, we, yeah, we, grow, we come to faith as individuals, we grow in community, I, we need people. And so I love doing these, these groups. Um, and so I have others as well that meet uh, physically here on a monthly basis. Very powerful stuff. Yeah, it's such an important thing for pastors to you know find community. And there's many many aspects we get to do that. We have advanced teams as part of Converge Northeast, and there's there's so many ways. But whatever it is, if you're out there and you're listening, like um, if you will do the work, you will find places to be able to connect with people deeply and be able to grow in community. And leaders do not need to be lonely or live. Uh, you know, the, one of the most dangerous places we can be in our life is when we're preaching community, but not living in it. Uh, and yeah. so that's uh, a really important uh, thing to to be mindful of for sure. So, yes. Uh, they don't have the interior life yeah, as well. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you're, you're great. There's uh there's obviously uh, this conversation could go on for <laughs> much longer and I appreciate <laughs> your time you like. so, so, so <laughs> much, but I'd love um, to kind of have you share a little bit about how people can, connect with you and get uh, their hands. I would definitely recommend this revised edition of Conform to His Image. This beautiful leather bound one. It even, as uh, you pointed out, has a ribbon bookmark in it. Uh, it's, I mean, there's beauty just in the form of this book and never mind the content of it, which is also a gift as well. And, and that is important to me because the, the thing itself, and you, the, even the clamshell box it came in, 
it's, it's so, you don't want to throw it away. It's too just too beautiful. Uh, so one, um, I have an organization. It's, it's called Reflections Ministries, and so it's reflections.org. Or you could um, we have a I have a monthly teaching letter. And you just go to reflections.org and sign up for that. Or to these, there's also um, uh, and, and what I'd love people to sign is daily growth, and and, and um, because there it's a powerful uh, thing for people to be praying the same scriptures together back to God. Part of that, one of the components of it is hammer prayer. So in doing that, it gives them a, an opportunity to have a mini Sabbath mm-hmm. where they can do even even for thirty seconds, then go back if they want. So I'm, I, I love to create tools to equip and encourage and enhance people's lives. Yeah. So, mm. and then we have finally this uh, YouTube, Reflections Ministries YouTube channel um, where all these videos and things are, are found. Yeah. Well, Ken, one of the analogies I often use with our network is that we want to have a, a tool shed full of tools for different people to come in. And I feel like you have a Home Depot full of tools. And so I hope people will, <laughs> will stop in and, and uh, take, take what is helpful to them and continue to uh grow in their walk with Jesus. You've, you've helped me and in this conversation itself has been, been sharpening. So thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. A pleasure to be with you. God bless. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy, at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.